0: If you would please, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. Christ's resurrection is the defining moment of Christianity because it sets our faith apart from every other religion in the world. Christianity is built upon the death of its founder on the cross, and in this death there was punishment. And there was atonement for our sins. There was a, a payment that was made for our crimes against the Holy God. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the redemption of our souls was certified and accepted as payment for our sins when God raised Jesus from the dead. And that proved that the price that Jesus paid for our sins was the price that was required by the Father. And if God had not been satisfied with the payment that was made, there would have been been no resurrection of His Son and no resurrection of anyone who believes in Him. Now, the act of God raising Christ from the dead was a foregone conclusion. The covenant of redemption was made before the foundation of the world, And Jesus knew when he went to the cross that three days in the tomb, that was the limit of his lifeless physical body and that he would come out of the grave in a body that was prototypical of our resurrection bodies. And so we can say today that the founder of Christianity is alive and that makes us different from all of the world's religions. And it makes our religion the true religion the one that worships the one true living God. And we do not accept that any other religion on the face of this planet is a valid and true religion and is a pathway to eternal life. Our mission as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is to preach this message of Christ crucified, Christ risen and coming again and to offer no hope for anyone who does not believe in the atoning sacrifice of Christ and the miracle of this man who was raised from the dead. And we may be called bigoted and narrow-minded because we are exclusive in this, but all that we can do is just pity those who die without Christ and are punished with everlasting separation from God. Now, I know as I say these things that these are assertions that are, are very strong, statements that are strong. And I know that there are many people who will be quite, quite disturbed when they hear such things. But I also understand the human heart. And I know that Romans 1 tells us that naturally depraved people willfully suppress the knowledge of the truth. And we don't do anyone any favors if we shield people from the truth by pretending that anything they believe other than Jesus Christ is helpful for their souls in any way. Any other thing that we believe will help us to get to heaven will condemn our souls to hell. Now, the resurrection, of course, means that Jesus is alive. And because he is alive, the ministry that he began 2,000 years ago, continues. He has a ministry that never ends because he is the eternal God. Now, today in, in the message, I want to discuss with you what Christ is doing since he arose from the grave and the ministry that he's doing for us and will do for our eternal souls. Now, I, I ask you to listen carefully today because this is a message that I believe will strengthen your faith. Uh, Most of us here, as far as I know, are believers in Jesus Christ. You profess to be saved, so I hope this is a message that will remind you and strengthen your faith. But if you aren't yet a believer, Christ's ministry is one that you are missing even as you sit in this room today. We don't speak of a dead man. He's alive. And the fact that he is alive has very, very, very important implications for you. Now, what I mean is if, if you believe, you are involved in all the ministries that Christ has. But if you don't believe, you are only involved in one of his ministries. And that is the ministry of the judge. The judge who condemns unforgiven sinners to the fires of hell. So I ask you to please pay close attention. This is not going to be a message about Easter eggs, and we're not going to talk about spring flowers today. We're going to speak of what Christ is doing today in his ministry as the risen Son of God. Now, our text is the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go in into heaven. The author of Acts was not an apostle, but he was one of their companions. The author was Luke, who traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he was the historian who chronicled the phenomenal growth of the church through the preaching of the Apostles in the first century. Luke was a physician, he was an educated man, and he begins the Acts of the Apostles by referring to a former work that he had written, and this was his recording of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what we call the Gospel of Luke. And in the Gospel account, he explained the birth of Christ and his inauguration into his ministry, into his teaching and preaching ministry. And that that inauguration was sanctioned by the Heavenly Father who spoke from heaven and then the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. Now, his ministry was accompanied by many miracles and by his perfectly righteous character that set him apart from every human being that that has lived. He, He was profoundly different from everyone and was nothing like the description of natural depravity that we find in Romans chapter 1. Well, there were truly many miracles that he did, And among these, the most outstanding and convincing proof that he was the long expected and awaited Messiah was his death and resurrection. Now, the book that we have today is titled, The Acts of the Apostles, but Luke is not the one who gave it that title. It has much to say about the ministry of the apostles and but Luke had much more in mind than just to give us a, a history and a record of the two main characters of this book. Now, this discourse does have much to say about the Apostle Peter and then the Apostle Paul. Paul takes over as the main character of the book after chapter 12. And the history of his missionary journeys is the is the background for most of the books of the New Testament to come after the book of Acts. Well... Paul made it clear in his writings that everything that he did, that everything that he preached, every motive that he had for enduring the suffering of the ministry was for one purpose. And he stated this purpose in Philippians chapter 3. He said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung Uh, I think that this proves to us that the book of Acts might be more appropriately titled The Acts of Jesus Christ. And that's because it's the ministry of Christ that continues. That's what the apostles were doing as they went throughout the world preaching the gospel. It is the gospel of Christ. And this gospel did not end at the cross. It did not end in the tomb. But because Jesus Christ lives forever, he is today still working in a supernaturally vibrant ministry. Now, Luke begins the book by saying that Jesus is alive. For 40 days after the resurrection, he made numerous appearances to the disciples. All of the apostles saw him, and in Galilee... There were more than 500 who saw him at one time. Now I want to show you first today that because Jesus is alive, he has a ministry of priesthood. Now this is extremely important for us. There is a ministry of priesthood. Jesus Christ is a priest. And to understand this, we must go back to the cross. And in fact, we need to go back further than the cross. We need to go to the Old Testament, in which the cross was typified through animal sacrifices. And there was a priesthood in Israel that was required to make these sacrifices. Well, what, what does a priest do? What is his responsibility? Well, that that is described in many Old Testament passages. But rather than turning to the many, many references that we find in the Old Testament that describe priesthood, we can stay right here in the New Testament and we can go to the book of Hebrews in which much of this information is condensed to make a connection between Christ's ministry and the Old Testament. Now, if you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5, there, beginning in verse number 1, the author speaks of the Aaronic priesthood. Now, if you don't understand my terminology, when I say the ironic priesthood, I'm talking about the priesthood from the Old Testament that was given in the Mosaic Law. So the author of Hebrews begins to speak of that, and this passage describes the work of priest. Now, we, we turn there, and if you would, you'd hold on to Hebrews because we have several verses to read here. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 1, the, The author starts this explanation by saying, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. What does a priest do? He makes sacrifices for sins. He makes atonement to God for sins, which simply means that the sacrifice that is made is the appeasement of God's wrath. The sacrifice made by the priest satisfied God in a figurative way for the sins of the people. Hebrews continues to say in other places that the priest offered the sacrifice, but he's no different from the rest of the people. He is also a sinful man. He is a sinner. And so first, the high priest had to make an offering for himself and for the other priests before he made a sacrifice for the people. And that's what qualified him to make the sacrifice. The sacrifices that he made were repeated every year. New sacrifices were made. Another year would go by and more sacrifices were made. Another day of atonement would come and go and sacrifices were made. And this went on throughout the entirety of Israel's history. And it's because none of these sacrifices that were made could permanently remove the sins of the people. They're just types of a better sacrifice that could take sin away. Well, it's for this reason that the priesthood of Christ must be a different priesthood. He can't be a priesthood after ordinary men of that order because men die. Men men can't continue. So Christ, then, is a different sort of priest. He's not from the priestly order of Aaron because he intended to make a sacrifice that would abolish the sins of the people forever. And so to do that, he had to be a continuing priest, and he must have a sacrifice that is of infinite worth. Now, he made that sacrifice on the cross. That's when he gave his own life as a sacrifice for our sins. That was the infinite sacrifice that is made for all time. Now, the priest's job is... To stand between God and the people to reconcile two parties that are that are enemies of each other and this offering of a sacrifice would satisfy the animus between them on the one hand God's justice is satisfied because sins are paid for and then on the other hand man is justified because his penalty is paid Well, we recognize all of that's true. I hope that you do. And while it is true that sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ, was a once-for-all sacrifice made for our sins for all time, it's also true that after we become Christians, we still sin. There are no perfect Christians. You know that, and I know that, and our lives show that none of us are perfect. We still sin. And therefore... We must have continual help with God. We must have a priest who can make perpetual intercession, always making intercession because we're not going to be free from sin as long as we're in this body. As long as we're living, we will have sin in us and that's not going to be gone until we're placed into the grave. Well, Jesus Christ is the only priest who can do this, because unlike human priests, he conquered the power of death, and so he continues in a priesthood that is enabled by his resurrection. Now, if you'll turn over a couple of pages in your Bible to the seventh chapter of Hebrews, the scripture says in verse 23, Hebrews seven twenty-three, and they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered or not allowed to continue by reason of death. And that is, as I explained, the, it means that priests who were of the Aaronic order needed to be replaced because they died. So you have this long succession of priests throughout Israel's history because their work was never complete. When one died, another had to take his place. Verse number 24 says, But this man, that is Jesus, because he continueth ever, have an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Christ continues in this priesthood ministry. He's alive. And the necessity of the resurrection is that we might have a faithful high priest who continues all through our lives, to make it possible that we can approach the holy God and we can approach Him with our sins forgiven and have fellowship with God. Christ is the only one who could do this. And so, based on the sacrifice of Christ and the uncommon life that He lived and the fact that He earned righteousness that He could pass to us by faith in Him, we can come before the holy God. Now, I realize that across this world, there are people who claim Christianity, but they don't understand how we are actually justified in the sight of God. And they think, well, if we do good things, if we're just good people, if we just have a lot of good works that we can pile up, that God will see that and say, well, yeah, you can go into heaven. But any time that we start to claim our holiness and our good works as a basis of approaching God, what we do is to defame the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We disregard the blood of the cross and we nullify his ministry of the resurrection. We are saved and we remain saved only because of the work that Christ did on the cross and the work that he continues to do being alive in the resurrection. So to put all of that into a condensed simplified form, Jesus must arise from the grave or we have no hope to approach God. We have no sufficient priests because there is no other man who can do this. He must be resurrected and he must have a continuing ministry or else the next sin that is committed, the next sin that you commit is a fatal sin. The next time that you do anything wrong, your salvation will be nullified. But because Christ lives, he eternally intercedes with the Father for you. He saves in the present and he saves throughout all eternity. Hebrews says he saves to the uttermost. And the Greek word there is panteleis. It means the full completion until the full completion of your final salvation in heaven. That is the eternal consequence of Christ's continuing ministry. Now, secondly, returning to the book of Acts, Jesus is alive, and because of this, there is a ministry of power. Now, if you'll look at the first part of verse number 8, Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Now, this statement takes us back to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples just before his death. The disciples were despondent. Jesus told him, told them on several occasions that he must die. And when they heard this, they protested that he, he should not die because they didn't want to be without his companionship. So they persuaded him, tried to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem. They knew that the scribes and the Pharisees would kill him if he went. There was so much hatred for him. And so they tried to convince Jesus not to go, but he was determined that he would. All of this persuasion is for naught, because Jesus came into the world for this purpose. He was going to the cross. He came to die for his people. And so his death wasn't a tragic accident of twisted fate. His death was not martyrdom. His, fate, his death was not a misunderstanding. It was a planned event. God planned it before he created the world. And that seems somewhat odd to us. God planned the death of Jesus Christ before the world was created? Well, that means it was before the fall of man. It means it was before the first sin was committed. God knew all of this would happen. In fact, that was his plan. It was his way that he intended to receive glory from the creation through the redemption of his people who are rescued from the eternal consequences of Adam's fall in the garden. So God's plan of redemption was not a knee-jerk reaction to the fall. Oh, everything that happens, happens because it is in the plan of God. It is in the eternal plan. But as all of that takes place in time, at the time that it happened, when it was in the lives of the apostles, and they lived through it, they didn't understand all of that. They didn't know these things. To them, if Jesus died, it's all over. Uh, The power of miracles is over. The power of changed lives is over. The demonstrations of power over Satan, that's all over. To them, Jesus' death would end it all. Ah, but there is a strange thing that happened. Jesus died and his body was placed in the tomb and then he arose. And we might think, what a wonderful thing. That is so good because a resurrected Christ living on the earth means he'll be back walking with his disciples again every day. He will demonstrate power by his in-person presence. And let me stop there for just a moment for a comment. In person. That's kind of taken on a whole new meaning for us today in the church, hasn't it? In person. In person. That, that's critical to our fellowship. Oh, we were so upset and so sad when we couldn't be together in person. We're distraught and downcast when we are apart and we can't see each other in person. But for Jesus Christ and our fellowship with him, the physical presence of Christ in his body is not critical for our fellowship with him. That was not his plan to demonstrate power by remaining on earth in person. His plan was to return to the Father. And his plan was far better because instead of Jesus walking externally with them and demonstrating power in that way, he intended to give them something that's far more significant. He planned to come inside of them and to live inside of them and to work his power from the inside out. And how would he do this? Well, he would do it through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And do you know that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ? Paul says this in Romans 8, 8 and 9. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So you see there how the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are one and the same so that we have proof that our God is eternally existent in three persons. When the Holy Spirit came, it was the Spirit of the living Christ, and Jesus promised that He would come to live inside of them, and He would be the power of God in them. On the night before the crucifixion, he said this in John 14, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then going back to Romans 8, Paul ties the presence of the Holy Spirit to the resurrection, and he says, And if Christ be in you... The body is dead because of sin, because the spirit is life, because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In our text, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so there's power for your life, Christians. There's power to live for Him. There's power to suffer the reproach of His name. There's power to endure all the difficulties and the rigors of living this Christian life. There's power to continue the ministry of Christ on this earth. There's power to live by. And might I also say that there is power to die by. The Holy Spirit that raised Christ will raise our bodies to eternal life. Christians don't fear death. Now, perhaps at at times we might be apprehensive about death because death is an unknown to us. We've never been through it, so we're not anxiously awaiting to die. It's nothing that we've experienced. But when it comes time to die, Christians testify to this, that there is grace and there is power to go through it. And that's because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us so that at the moment of our death, as soon as our eyes close in death, our spirit awakes. And that Son of Man, that man saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, now lives in his new home in heaven with God. Now Jesus has this continuing ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ. And if Christ is not alive, then we have no power for this life. You see, without the resurrection, we're no different from the impenitent person who has never believed. Our hope is not better than any of theirs if Christ doesn't live. And I'll say this, that our hope is not better than any of the world's religions. Their founders are dead, and so is Christ if he is not raised. Thank God Jesus is alive And gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know he is alive. Because I know that every one of you in here today who is a believer in Jesus Christ can testify. You know the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Well, we have no doubt about it. Now, thirdly, because Jesus is alive, there is a ministry of the kingdom. There is sure hope of his kingdom. In the gospel accounts, it's recorded that Jesus chose his disciples... And since they believed that he was the Messiah, they knew that he was the king of the kingdom. And that was the most pressing question that was always on their minds. What about the kingdom? When will the kingdom come? And as far as the kingdom, the disciples were no different than the rest of the Jews. Uh, In the matter of the kingdom, they were just like all the others. They expected that when the Messiah came, that he would immediately establish the promised kingdom. And that had been the hope of Israel since the time of David when God promised that he would make David's throne an everlasting throne in an everlasting kingdom. And the Messiah would be the last king who would sit on this throne. And so the Jews fully expected that with the coming of the Messiah, there is also the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom will be established at the same time. Well, Israel's kingdom had been gone for quite some time before Jesus was born. Years before, it had been vanquished by their enemies. And so Israel had been without a king for 500 years. So the disciples naturally asked questions about it. They, they, they wanted it. They expected it. They even maneuvered for positions in this kingdom. James and John wanted to sit on either side of the throne... And so there was jealousy among the disciples about who would be the most prominent among them in Christ's kingdom. Now, it was the absence of an immediate kingdom when Christ came, and the idea of a suffering, dying Messiah, that just sort of messed with the Jewish mind. They, they can't put that together. That doesn't make sense to them. And so Jesus did not look like their idea of the Messiah, and they rejected him. And their rejection of him as the king on his terms helped cause the delay in the kingdom. So what happens if the Messiah dies? What happens if he decays in a tomb? He hasn't established the promised kingdom and therefore if he remains dead, there is no hope. The kingdom will never be established if there is no king. Well, as time goes on, the disciples learn more about this in three years of Jesus' ministry. They listen to him teach, and it became apparent to them, yes, see, he is going to die, and that's going to happen before David's throne is established. Now they understand a little bit more about this. Jesus would die, and he promised that he would arise. And now, here we are, uh, after the resurrection, it's happened And Jesus has shown himself that he is alive for 40 days. Now he's already, he's ready to ascend into heaven. And so these questions about the kingdom are revived and they frame their question about it in verse number six of Acts one. When they therefore would come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel. So the disciples are thinking, wow, we've seen all of this happen right before our eyes. We've seen a marvelous resurrection. We've seen a demonstration of power that's unprecedented. No one has ever died and came back to life by his own power. Surely this must be a sign that the kingdom is upon us. And so they asked Jesus, is this the time? Will you establish the kingdom now? I mean, surely the time is right. So they asked the question, and his answer to them is quite clear. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. In other words, the timing of the kingdom is not known by any person. It was not to come then, and he wasn't going to tell them when. But there is a kingdom coming. And it can only come if the king of the kingdom remains alive. Well, Jesus is alive. And the kingdom is coming. One day he's going to come back to the earth and he will establish this physical kingdom across the entire world. So then, pay attention to me now, get the points. Now the resurrection becomes the basis upon which the kingdom can come. Do you see how important It's promised thousands of years ago and because Christ is alive, the promise is still alive. So do you wonder why we speak so often of the resurrection and tell you how important it is? This is what Jesus prayed about in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And do you know that's supposed to be a part of our prayers? That's the model prayer. And why do we want the kingdom to come? Because it's the time when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you wish that would happen now? I mean, just like the disciples, aren't you tired of the world's wickedness? And aren't you already tired of this insane government that rules us? Amen. Yes, we want the kingdom to come. The final goal of all creation is to be restored into the perfect domain of God. But God allows sin to reign now. He allows Satan to have his way with the world now. But Christ's kingdom is coming. And he he will come and... The whole world will be subdued under his power and everything in heaven and everything in earth and everything under the earth will bow to the exalted Christ who reigns in his kingdom. Now let me read to you from Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want to see it for yourself. Here the apostle ties the exaltation of the Christ. Uh, ties ex, uh, Christ's exaltation to the cross and, and then to the resurrection. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse number 8. And Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even to death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the coming kingdom of Christ. We pray for it because we are tired of the wickedness of this world. We're tired of hearing our Lord's name drugged through the mud. We're tired of We're tired of godless wickedness. We're tired of people ignoring the Lord of glory. And to us who are living through it right now, we, we think this is an interminable amount of time that we have to wait for this. But then we're reminded of what is time compared to eternity. What is it? God bides his time. God allows all of this. And he doesn't tell us when. But at some time, at any time... His cataclysmic power will be displayed. Jesus will roll back the heavens and return. And then at first, he's going to take all of his people out of the world. And then he will give those that are left behind a taste of what it's like to live in unrestrained wickedness. What happens when the devil has all the control? Well, he'll let people know what life is like without the Holy Spirit restraining sin and you know what? first people will think we have got it made I mean, we have got it made we've got joe and kamala we've got it made we've got everything that we want and they we don't have to worry about these pesky christians that are running around all the time messing with our fun and telling us what we can and we can't do but then god's going to crack down in his vengeance and the world will be plunged under the wrath of god and do you know what all that's for What is it all for? It is to purge the earth of sin and to subdue it under the mighty hand of God. And then when this is done, Christ puts on the garments of the conquering king. He comes with that breastplate of righteousness, with a sword of vengeance in his hand, and he pushes the kings of this earth down. And yes, he pushes presidents down, and he pushes prime ministers down, and he puts his foot on their necks, and the entire world is brought under the domain of the righteous King. How can all of that happen? Well, it happens because Christ lives. Because he arose from the dead. He's not in the tomb. He lives to make the kingdom a reality. And his continuing ministry will be that of a reigning monarch over all of the world. And they will recognize him as the mighty king. Well, in the 11th verse of Acts 1... Angels spoke to the people as they watched Jesus ascend, beginning at verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. What stunning words those are. This same Jesus. This same Jesus, the one who died on the cross, the one who arose from the grave, you see him go up and he will come again. He will not send another prophet. He will not send an angel. He will not let someone take his place. He's exalted in glory and he will come back in power and glory. This is a promise that survives from the very beginnings of the word of God. Job talked about this 4,000 years ago. He said, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold. And listen, and not another, not another. It's him, though my reins be consumed within me. Why will this happen? Because Jesus is not in the tomb. He's alive and he has a continuing ministry. His concluding ministry on earth will be reigning as the King of Kings. Now, now finally today, I think that we should look at and end with another important point. Jesus is alive. And again, those of you that believe in him as Savior, you know that he's alive because he lives inside of you, in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that empowers you to live the Christian life. And because he is alive, he has something for you to do. Because Jesus is alive, there is a ministry for his disciples. And you, believers in Jesus Christ, you are his disciples. If Jesus wasn't dead, or was dead, I, I wouldn't need to discuss this with you. If he's dead, we don't meet in church. If he's dead, we don't need sermons about salvation. We don't need to preach about a kingdom. We never need to tell anyone about Jesus. And certainly, we wouldn't have a Resurrection Sunday. But because he is alive, the ministry that he began must continue. The good news of the gospel must continue. And so before Jesus left, he says in verse number 8, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Jesus called twelve men, and he trained them to carry on his ministry. Twelve men were called to be apostles, He knew in three short years that his time on earth would be finished. The cross, that's the destination. Payment for our sins, that was his goal. That's why he came to earth. And then as we've just seen, his plan was to return to his exalted position in heaven with the Father. Because he lives, the ministry that he started still lives. He didn't stop saving souls when he saved the apostles. He didn't abandon the earth when he left. He still desires the salvation of people. In fact, he said that his death on the cross was for a multitude. Again, going back to Old Testament, in Isaiah it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There are still many to be saved because Jesus died for them. He arose for them. And for them to be saved and brought home to be with him, they must hear the gospel and believe. So do you know what Jesus did? He commissioned the disciples. And he told them that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now at the end of Matthew, we have a post-resurrection appearance in which Jesus gave the Great Commission. I mentioned this at the beginning of the message. This is probably at the same time when he was seen by 500 at once. That's recorded in 1 Corinthians. Jesus commissioned his disciples at that time, saying... Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen, when the Lord said that he would be with them until the end of the world, that proves two things to us. First, he's alive and he will remain alive. And secondly... The commission that he gave was not for them alone. The commission survives until this day because Jesus is alive until this day. And that commission that he gave is to be carried on until there is no more need for it. And when is there no more need for it? When every last person who... Believes in Jesus Christ is brought home to heaven, and God saves the very last one. When the very last of God's people is in their eternal home, we don't need the commission any longer. Now, I wish we had time to spend uh, more time to spend on this aspect of the resurrection, because if there's something that the Berean Baptist Church desperately needs, it's for our membership to be more involved in Christ's great commission. We shouldn't be content to bring money to the church for missionaries. I mean, that's good, and I I ask you to give a mission offering during this month, and we support missionaries all throughout the year, but it shouldn't be content us to bring money for missionaries or to bring money for preachers to stand in this pulpit as we preach in person to the people who sit in this room. Oh, the world is dying and going to hell. There are people in your families that are dying and going to hell. There are people that you work with that know nothing about Christ. They're lost. They're doomed to hell because of unbelief. And if they die that way, there is no hope for them. You see, we were all once in that Romans 1 condition, weren't we? We were all without God in this world. But then somebody came and gave us the gospel. Somebody took the commission of Acts 28 seriously, or of Acts 1, 8 seriously, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 seriously, Mark 16 seriously. Somebody came and told us that if we didn't trust Christ, we would die and go to hell. Oh, it's God's ministry, Christ's ministry for disciples to organize into churches and come together for the purpose of uniting for evangelism. We need to learn. That's why we have a church. We need to be trained and then we need to separate from here and go and give the gospel to others. If Jesus wasn't alive, I wouldn't tell you to do this. But because he is alive, his ministry continues. So there's a ministry for you and me, just like there was for the twelve at the beginning. They took the commission seriously and now the gospel is preached around the world. So let me just leave you with some final questions. What are you doing because Jesus is alive? Because of you, has anybody heard that he's alive? I mean, I, mean, I hope that you didn't come today to sing and to pray and hear a sermon, and just sit on the information. Will the ministry of Christ continue with you? Will it live in you? Or will all of this that you've just heard, does His ministry die with you? There is a priesthood ministry of Christ today. There is a ministry of power for you today and your life. There is a ministry of Christ's kingdom that goes on today where He will reign over the whole whole earth. And that's all possible because Jesus is alive. So what are we doing with the ministry that Jesus left us with? The psalmist wrote, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That precious seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sheaves are the people that you win to the Lord. And the question is, how many will you bring with you when it comes time to meet Jesus? This same Jesus will come. And that's the blessed hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this hour thanking you again for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ministries that go on because he is alive. Our hope is founded in this, that Jesus arose from the grave. Our sins are forgiven because of this. We are justified because of the resurrection. We have hope of the kingdom because of the resurrection. We know the power of the Holy Spirit is in us because Christ is alive. And Lord, what do we do because he is alive? What about the ministry that's been given to us? A commission has been given to every believer in Jesus Christ. Have we told anybody that Jesus is alive? And not just that he is, but why he is alive. Lord, I pray that you've touched someone's heart with the message today. Either convict those that are saved to do the ministry that you left them with, or save those who have not yet believed in Jesus Christ. Open their hearts to this gospel, and may they believe that it's the only hope that they have to see God. We've already stated there is no other way, there is no religion in this world that can lead people to the one true God except Christianity, what we believe about Jesus Christ living, dying, resurrected, and coming again. Help us, Lord, as we contemplate this great story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.